Hello and welcome to Destination Draft Day. I'm Michael Rockman with Nick Durst, Brian Salsa. How are you guys doing today? Michael, we're doing well. We're happy to be along with the ride here. Uh, but it's really the, the Michael Rockman experience. Nobody knows his draft guys better than Michael. Uh, you know, last week you're talking about the Cincinnati quarterback, and he goes off, has an amazing game that night. So Michael Nostradamus over here, he knows what he's talking about. And that's why that's why Bonus Seekers is so happy to, to be one of our great partners here. And Brian, before I even get into anything else, you know, we got some major action this weekend. And of course, then you got a big game, a big weekend of betting next week with Thursday, ton of football games. You got Maction during the week, college football, you got the match. So I want you to let everybody know right now where to go to place their bets. Uh, that's right. Thank you, Nick. Great to be with you guys, of course. Um, yes, anybody looking for sports books? If you're in, uh, if you're in one of the betting states, bonusseeker.com, you can find uh, all your bonuses, all your promotions, figure out which sports book works best for you. If you're not in a betting state, you can still make picks on all of these games. Nick said it, college, uh, golf, NFL, anything you want, um, fend off sports. So it's all right there for you at bonusseeker.com. Doesn't matter where you're located. Go check it out. Get the best deal. Go bet on some sports. No, no doubt about it. So let's let's get right into it, guys. We're looking right, and we'll start right now with Monday Night Football recap here. Uh, I said it on the show, Michael. I said the end of Nick Foles as a Bears starting quarterback might be coming real soon. Um, unfortunately, it looks like it's due to injury, but uh, the Bears lose again. They've been very bad under Nick Foles. The Vikings, they didn't look that great, but they get the win, and they needed that win. And now you got to sit and wait and see what's going to happen here. Are they going to officially, you know, rule out Foles? Is Mr. Trubisky going to play? And what could Trubisky do for the Bears moving forward here as they try to, you know, rebound uh, and stop this, this downward spiral? But big win for the Vikings on Monday night uh, against the Bears, Michael. And as you projected, you said the Vikings are really turning around here and going to try to make a push to the playoffs. Yeah, and with the quarterback situation in Chicago, you look at, yes, you could argue that Nick Foles is the better quarterback. I don't think anyone's going to say that they feel strongly one way or the other that you need to go with Mitch as the better QB or Nick Foles as the better QB. But the fact is, this Bears team is winning with Mitch at quarterback. And yes, there's a lot of headaches. There's a lot of bad play that can happen. But at the same time, when you're able to win games, that's what matters most. And yes, Trubisky probably isn't your quarterback going forward after this season, but I think going forward for this season, you have to have him as the starter. Yeah, I certainly agree. Just gives you that mobility there that a lot of people, you know, don't give you, especially in Foles, who's kind of, for the most part, a pocket passer. Brian, you know, do you have any strong feelings either way between Trubisky or Foles? Well, no, I mean, I guess maybe the decision is kind of made now, right? But, you know, it's interesting. It just really looked like the Bears were doing everything they could not to go to Mitch Trubisky. They thought that, you know, changing the play caller would uh, would change things. So, you know, they let Bill Lazor call plays, except uh, it didn't really look like it changed much for them. Um, they actually could have used a little mobility in there. And, I mean, look, uh, Foles didn't have a ton of time to throw, but he's not really an extremely accurate 
passer. And that is really the the problem with Mitch too, right? So, I mean, if Mitch gives you the mobility and you're not really looking at much of an upgrade um, in that department with Foles, I really, you know, I agree with Michael. I really don't see why Mitch wouldn't be uh, playing at this point. And plus, are we just entirely ready to give up on him? I mean, even if you wanted to trade, get something for him, uh, the only way to do that is to actually play him and actually try to increase that stock. I mean, he does nothing for you on the bench. And then poor Bray, he's got to come in at the end of the game and just like, he had no shot there with under a minute left. They were 80 yards away. And, um, and he gets played. You know, that was just a complete mess. Michael, good news. Rick LinkedIn is here. He wants you to know that he is in the, he's in the showroom watching us. Appreciate it, Rick. Uh, yeah. So Trubisky, I think it's, it's going to be interesting because if he plays well, over the next five games or so and gets the, the Bears black in the playoff mix. How, how do they possibly move on from this guy, Michael, if, if he's playing, if he plays well enough, well enough to get them to the playoffs? Unless there's like an instance where like Matt Ryan becomes available during free agency. Uh, they're not going to be in like the greatest position to draft a quarterback uh, just based on the fact that they already have five wins. So where do the Bears go from here? Because there's no way Foles is back as the starting quarterback next year. The biggest question mark of it all, you look at Trubisky, I think everyone is is well aware of what he is, and he's not going to be a long-term starter for this franchise. But if he's able to get you to playoffs and you're not in a great spot in terms of trading up or even drafting someone where you're at in the standings to get a great rookie, your defense is already ready to contend. You need someone to step in at the quarterback position it kind of just comes down to what's available on the market. And you mentioned guys like Matt Ryan, potentially if Jameis Winston shows out for the Saints, he could be an option. And there's there's other guys Jason like that. Hill. Jason Hill's starting for the Saints, so I don't know how Jameis is going to show out. So Brian – They didn't name the starter yet. They, they named Taysom Hill the starter, Adam Schefter reported. So if Already? You, if, you can get, if you can get Taysom Hill in your fantasy league, start him at the flex, start him at the tight end because he's playing quarterback. <laughs> That's actually not a bad play, maybe. Who knows? Um, you know, I figured that they just really, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are outraged about the Taysom Hill starting over Jameis Winston thing. I mean, I'm assuming that they have the uh, the packages set up with Taysom Hill already. And when Jameis took over the other day, you know, they were winning the game by a lot, but he was brutal. He really right. was. Um, Expect but, a lot of Alvin Kamara running the ball or screen passes. That surprises me that they're going with Hill. Uh like Brian said, I'm not sure if it's going to be a full hill show, but I mean, yeah, he's a good tight end play. If you if you're still able to pick him up in fantasy, might have to hop on my phone real quick, make the moves real quick while the show's going on. Michael's gonna go get Taysom Hill in fantasy football, which he's got to do. And in the meantime, I mean, that's very necessary because if you can play him at tight end and get those QB numbers, there's really nothing nothing that's going to stop you from winning this week. We got Jim Rary, who had to come through to watch the GOAT show. We appreciate that. Michael Rockman is the GOAT when it comes to draft analysis. Uh, Rick wants to say what's up to Jim Rary. Jim Rary says what's up back. And then Rick says nothing much. Liking to hear Kamara is getting 30 carries. You know, Rick, it's going to be big for Kamara with Taysom Hill. Uh, you know, we didn't really address this, obviously, um, with Brian, but – you know, Drew Brees, 
if everyone's saying he's getting old, he's not accurate anymore, this is a this is a huge loss because I don't I don't think I mean I can think they could still get the number one seed, but if he's not back for the playoffs, I don't think they're going to be able to win a Super Bowl without without Drew Brees, Brian. No, they're not. That's the analysis. They're not. No, no <laughs> chance at all. Uh, and you know the Packers now they got to be happy because they they're looking at this as. Well, hey, now we got that chance to rebound here and get the number one seed. And then Monday Night Football, the Seahawks, I thought they were going to do it. They were going to lose three in a row. But Russell Wilson said, that's not happening on my watch. And the defense actually looked really good for the Seahawks at the end of the game with Dunlap and Bobby Wagner. And the Seahawks, they pull it off 28-21. And the key to the game, Michael, assuming you now have picked up Taysom Hill Fantasy, is that they were able to stop Kyler Murray. They get 15 rush yards, which I don't know how they did that. Um, that's the game plan you got to go against the Cardinals with. Is if you could stop the run with Kyler Murray, you got a good chance to win the game. Yeah, Seahawks had a great game plan. They were able to do well defensively, which has been a big issue for them all year. You look at the production on offense, putting up 28 points is always going to be a strong outing. Carlos Hyde was able to produce in the run game, so that's a big get for them to have him come back healthy. Obviously waiting on Chris Carson to be the lead back, but Hyde will do the job whenever you need him to. And we talked about it on last episode. The Seahawks needed this game more than the Cardinals did, and I think that's really what it came down to is that this team kind of had their backs up against the wall. They couldn't lose four straight. They couldn't lose the potential of having this division in their hands, and now they get that back. You look at just how strong this NFC is. And there's not a lot of margin for error for error for any of these teams. You look at the three playoff teams that are considered wild cards, the Tampa Bay Bucks, the Los Angeles Rams, and the Arizona Cardinals, all having phenomenal years. And right now, I believe all have three losses, maybe four now for the Cardinals. Yep. And that's absolutely ridiculous. And it's just, it's sad to see that, you know, the NFC East is going to send a 6-10 and 10 team to this playoff squad, maybe 6-9-1, and one, you know, holding out. The time's going to be huge. The Eagles, but, but that is just ridiculous how talented this NFC conference is. And, you know, it's going to be hard to really determine who's going to win in playoffs. Obviously, the Saints are favorites if they have Breeze. The Packers get going really easily with Rodgers, but they've had these weeks where they've kind of gotten Good blown job. out. You can never count out Brady. You can never count out Russell Wilson. You look at guys like Kyler Murray that are rising up. The Rams just got to the Super Bowl two years ago. There's no reason to believe they can't. And then, you know, whoever comes out of the NFC East, we've seen the Giants have some magic before. They say Daniel Jones reminds them of Eli. Maybe maybe some postseason Daniel Jones magic. I, I think I think a 6-10 and 10 Giants team have to be the favorite for the Super Bowl. And I think Bryant got us some incredible betting odds right there on the Giants, probably like plus 30, plus 3,000 or something, at least for the Giants on the Super Bowl, 6-10. and 10. I mean, that would be a, a big big bonus seeker, banking in big time with the money there. Uh, but I think, Brian, right now, you know, with the uncertainty of Breeze, I guess I would say – if I had a pick, I'd slightly say the Packers should be the favorites to come out of the NFC uh, at, at this point. What, what, which team are you leaning towards? Yeah, if we're talking about the NFC, it really has to be either the Packers or the Bucks, right? So, um, if not the Seahawks. So, I mean, it really depends, um, you know, who you put your trust in. You know, I really uh, – last night was a good performance for the Seahawks, but we're not going to forget that they were able to bang up Kyler Murray early, and I think that might have had to do – 
you know, could have changed up how aggressive mm-hmm. he was when he wanted to take off. So I'm not ready to say that the Seahawks defense is, um, you know, no. championship caliber by any stretch. You know, um, the Bucks are really coming into their own, but it's really still them or the Packers, you know, a little bit surprised to see the Packers as uh, underdogs this week. Not that the Colts aren't a good team. They are. We saw last week what they did to Tennessee. But uh, I think a little recency bias after Green Bay sort of just moseyed their way through a game against Jacksonville and didn't really play all that well, but their defense has to get better as well. So I actually think right now Tampa would be the team if I had to pick one just because they're the most complete of any of the uh, NFC contenders at the top. Yeah, I think it would be really key for if the Bucs could win that division because they they want they don't want to be going to Green Bay in uh you know potentially the second round. Uh, they don't want to go to Seattle. You know, that's they don't want to do that. And they they want if they go to New Orleans, you know, they don't want to play New Orleans again. The New Orleans embarrassed them all season. But yeah, I mean, like Michael said, if you told me right now the Seahawks or the Rams or the Packers or the Bucks or the Saints, or even the Cardinals are going to the Super Bowl, I wouldn't flinch. I'd be like, all right, that makes sense. If you told me the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl, then I'd be like, something's wrong with you. Get your head examined. But in the NFC, anybody can win. And the AFC, everybody looks great, too. And there's so many teams with, with at least six wins. Uh, I think the favorites have to be the Steelers. How could they not be? But, you know, if you tell me Steelers are going to the Super Bowl, gotcha. Chiefs, I agree. Uh, even if you said the Colts, I think are going to make the Super Bowl, I wouldn't be overly surprised. Um, if you told me the Bills, I'd be like eh, maybe, but I'd be uh, I'd be on board with that. I think that can happen. I don't think the Dolphins will make the Super Bowl. I don't think the Raiders are going to make the Super Bowl. I don't think the Browns are going to make the Super Bowl or the Ravens. But hey, when if you have a season where you have twelve teams in the end of November that you could say I think this team's going to the Super Bowl, and you could say okay, that makes sense. That is what it's all about in sports, that competitive balance that you don't see anywhere else. And that's why, that's why Michael, the draft is so important when it comes to competitive balance here in the NFL. Absolutely. And a lot of these teams have built up through the draft, even teams that maybe you aren't viewing as a contender yet. Like you said, the Dolphins, you aren't really too confident in their chances, but they just had a phenomenal draft this year. Whether you're looking at guys like Tua or some of the other key contributors to this team, and they've done a great job of working the offseason for agency opportunities. They had a lot of money, and they got some guys that were definitely key fits in Flores' defense. And now we've seen Brian Flores really get to make this team his own, and the results have been huge. And now with Tua getting going, really seeming to come to his own as a quarterback, this team is undefeated with Tua at QB. I don't think that lasts, but I do think that there's a, there's a lot of hope to have for good drafting teams, and the Dolphins seem to be one of those. Yeah, we will uh, certainly later on talk about the Dolphins, but someone has a question for you, Michael, about their opponent this week, the Broncos, and your buddy Rick wants to know, is there any value in Drew Locke and Jerry Judy for the rest of the season? Obviously, I guess from a fantasy perspective, Drew has seen flashes, but he seems to be coming him back to earth. I think Drew is still injured, and he's just, you know, he's out there gutting it out, which is which is what you want to see from your quarterback. But, Michael, all your thoughts on those two guys? If I'm in a two-quarterback league and Drew Locke is one of my options, that's that's all right. But if I'm looking at a regular league where it's one quarterback, I'm probably not rostering Drew Locke at all. I'm looking for other options. They're probably decent streaming options. But Judy, I think, is worth having on the bench. And then if you see some rising play out of, out of Drew Locke, then keep Judy and potentially have him in your starting lineup. What do you think if you've got Drew Brees? 
do you think you should pick up Hill or do you go and get Locke, play him at QB, and then put Hill at tight end? I think uh, if you if you have the opportunity to where you can put Taysom Hill at tight end and then you can add whoever at QB, that's definitely a plus. I don't know if I go with Locke. I think there's still a lot of questions about his ability for this season. This week they, they have a decent matchup against the Dolphins in terms of just we've seen these young teams kind of go into Denver and then get smacked up by what's generally in a very aggressive defense. So I wouldn't be surprised if Denver had this random upset that no one really saw coming this weekend. But I don't think that Drew Locke is going to play a key piece in that. I think it'd just be a very low-scoring, kind of aggressive ground game type of approach from Denver. Kim Kim Rary loves the show. We appreciate the love, and we love when you all you'll comment. Michael called you out on Monday for the lack of comments, and you all responded, so we do appreciate that. Uh, but now it's time to do what with Ryan and Michael do best, and that is look at some of the games of the week for this week in college football. We got some big games, of course. Indiana versus Ohio State is going to kick us off. We look at the 12 o'clock game. Indiana coming in as the number nine team in the nation. Ohio State, number three. Brian, give us your analysis of this game. Well, this is an interesting game, guys. Indiana's 4-0. They've covered all four spreads for the first time in, you know, I don't even know how long. But this is going to be a great game. It's at noon, uh, so you get it right off the bat on Saturday. Both of these teams are going to score. We can be sure of it. If the weather holds up, and I think it will, you know, that over 66, 67 could be in play. We should see some fireworks. The thing is, betting against Ohio State is terrifying. It just is. Um, you know, and Indiana could be running into reality check time. You know, uh, remember week one, they played really well, but maybe they shouldn't have beat Penn State. Maybe they touched the pylon. Maybe he didn't. Um, they've been really, really impressive. I do think they uh, could backdoor cover this thing because Ohio State is giving them 20 and a half points. Seems like a lot for a team that's 4-0. So if this thing especially gets to 21 or over, I would consider betting on Indiana. But like I said, it's really scary betting against Ohio State. I think I would maybe just root for uh, take the over and root for the points. But um, if you had to pick one, I guess I will um, hold my nose and, and take Indiana and just hope that they don't give up, you know, 50. Yeah, I I'm going to go like- – I got I to – oh, sorry, Michael. Go uh, ahead, Nick. You got I was just going to say, I agree, Indiana, you got to take them with the points. I mean, if Rutgers can cover against Ohio State, why can't the number nine team in the country? That was 38 points, Nick. Yes, but it's a, it's a lower spread, obviously, and that's because Indiana's good. So yeah. I've been all over, uh, you know, picking picking these Ohio State games this season. So I'm going to go with Indiana, and if they somehow win, I'll text you during the Notre Dame game. If, uh, <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they don't win, then uh, – because I won't be watching this game. I will not, I will not update you either way. And, you know, obviously – Based on spread, it feels like disrespect to Indiana, but I think this is just a nod to how dominant Ohio State has been. Looking at some players to watch, Justin Fields has to be one. And, look, I know he's he's very well regarded as a prospect to watch, so there may not be too much to see in the eyes of some, but every game that he goes against a top opponent, you have to keep an eye on Fields and really evaluate just all he can do. And against Indiana, there may not be much better competition that he gets to face until we see the conference championship and playoff games that Ohio State will likely be in. 
But right now, looking at Justin Fields against Indiana, it is going to be huge. A lot of people are very confident in his capabilities as the quarterback, two in this class. He has looked phenomenal as a passer, going 72 of 83 so far through the season. If he has another great game, I think he cements himself as the quarterback, too. And if he continues to just absolutely tear it up, there could be talks that he should go number one. I don't think it ever happens, but I think it's kind of like that Robert Griffin the third and Andrew Luck type thing where we have this obviously prized number one talent as a prospect, and then there's this guy that kind of rises up and really makes the case. And Justin Fields was well-known before the season, but he could definitely rise up even higher than what the QB2 spot was for him in the offseason. The next player to watch is Tommy Togiai. And you look at this defensive tackle had three sacks in one game for Ohio State in their matchup against Penn State. And now, after a zero-sack performance against the dominant Rutgers Scarlet Knights, he needs to bounce back. If he can have a huge game for Ohio State's defense, this will really elevate his stock, which has been you know, kind of in question right now. People are saying, well, we need to wait and see what he can do. This is where you prove it in these big primetime matchups. And while 12 Eastern isn't necessarily prime time, it's going to be a highly watched performance. So the, I'm sorry. What's the what's the actual spread on, on this game again, Brian? Depending on what you're at right now, I'm seeing. Okay. Yeah. So I think I think there's gonna be some movement on that, most likely. Um, but you know, again, Rutgers only lost by twenty two. So I gotta go, I gotta go with Indiana on this one. But uh yeah, sorry to sorry to cut you off there, Michael. No, you're all good. And the last player to watch for this matchup is Sean Wade, most likely going to be matching up with Watt Filer a lot, both very good players in this matchup. And really, Sean Wade is someone that I think has the versatility to move inside and outside as a cornerback. And I think a lot of NFL teams are going to covet that with the capability to move all around the secondary. Sean Wade, very physical corner, but also very athletic. Look for Filer versus Wade to be an outstanding matchup. For this Saturday's game. The next matchup we have is Wisconsin versus Northwestern. Both undefeated teams looking to really stake their claim as the leader of their side of the division in the Big Ten West. Brian, who do you like in this game? Who do you think remains unbeaten after this? And how do you feel about the spread? Yeah, so the Badgers are seven and a half point favorites at most sports book. And um, even though that line's on the wrong side of a touchdown, I'm still taking Wisconsin. You know, um, both of these teams play excellent defense. So to an extent, you would think maybe this could be a maybe this could be a bit of a rock fight. Northwestern could stay in it. But, you know, Wisconsin's offense with Graham Mertz, uh, you know, has another element that some past Wisconsin teams really haven't had until they get slowed down, which certainly did not happen against that brutal Michigan team. Um, you know, I'm going to stick with the Badgers. You know, I mean, they're only, you know, for, for as bad as Michigan might be, this spread is only, what, three points, three and a half points bigger than that spread was. And I know that this game is, um, you know, at Northwestern, but – even still, um, you know, I respect that Northwestern has a really good defense, but I'm not sure they keep up. If their defense just bends a little bit and Wisconsin scores a couple of touchdowns, I just don't see them being able to score very much on a Badger defense that I think is averaging nine points a game against. So if we're giving away seven and a half points, I'm going with Wisconsin. Yeah, and for players to watch in this game, you look at Peyton Ramsey, the Northwestern quarterback, will be having his work cut out for him against Wisconsin. 
a lot of hype for Ramsey around draft circles and around just people that I talked to saying, look out for this guy. He had did he did some great things at Indiana and now stepping in the Northwestern, he could be in for a big season. Kind of struggled out the gate, but a big game against Wisconsin could really shore up any of the issues that he had early on and could obviously move Northwestern towards looking to be playing in that Big Ten championship. I think I got Wisconsin too, and a big reason is Jake Ferguson, the tight end, has been a huge pat, a huge piece of this passing attack. 11 receptions on the year, 123 yards, and four touchdowns in two games. He's really kind of come into his own as a dominant player and has been a key piece of their red zone offense. Like Brian said, this offense has a new element to it with Graham Mertz being able to toss the ball and – Really, it's kind of interesting because we haven't seen Wisconsin run as well. And I think it's because they don't have their star running back this year. No Jonathan Taylor in the backfield, but they still have plenty of talent to beat you. So who's going to be having a big game to watch is Patty Fisher, who I feel like we've been talking about as a draft prospect for three, four years now. He is your traditional linebacker, 6'4", 250 pounds, can really lay down a big hit but he is going to have his work cut out for him against Wisconsin, whether it's picking up assignments on Jake Ferguson or trying to stop the run of Wisconsin's offense. Patty Fisher is going to have a big game or is going to have to have a big game if Northwestern wants to slow down Wisconsin and we'll see what he does. But right now I think I, I lean in favor of Wisconsin as well. They've looked too good this season. In our last matchup, we got Oklahoma versus Oklahoma state. We've talked about it on the show. The Big 12 has been struggling this year, but these are two of the best teams both this season and traditionally. Both these teams have a lot to play for, a chance to potentially put themselves in a spot to compete for the Big 12 title. Brian, who are you liking in this game, and what do you think happens? Oh, Bedlam, it's great. You know, um, this is the game that if anybody is home on Saturday night, this is the one that they should be watching. You know, the Sooners are about a seven-point favorite the game's in Norman, so I guess that makes sense. But what's great is that this isn't your classic offense versus offense kind of game. This is more of a clash of styles because we've noted on this uh, on the show a few times this year that Oklahoma State actually plays pretty excellent defense. So if there's any team in the big uh, in the latter part of this Big Twelve schedule that's going to give Spencer Rattler any trouble, it's going to be Oklahoma State. You know, and um, but the Oklahoma offense is also coming into its own. Like I said, seven-point favorite. I, um, I'm i just going to stick with the Cowboys, you know. I mean, I guess it's more of a field play than anything else. I mean, if, if the Sooners' offense is really rolling, they could obviously win the game by two touchdowns. But it's not really that often that you get Big 12 teams that really play excellent defense. So assuming Chuba Hubbard is going to be healthy and able to um, – do, do enough for Oklahoma State to score some points at least. I, I do think they can keep this uh, within a touchdown, uh, even in Norman. Yeah, and I think I have to go with Oklahoma State in this game as well. And also, I'm smashing the over. 59.5 points is what I'm seeing on this. You look at it, I feel like this is going to be like a 49-45 to 45 game in favor of the Cowboys. So definitely go with the over in this one. Oklahoma State has had some good defense this year, but whenever it comes to teams like Texas and stuff like that, they have allowed a little bit of a shootout. So definitely keep your eyes on that uh, over under and potentially look into it. A little bit of correction on the graphic. Forgot to mess with that. It is on the 21st, obviously, and it is at 730 Eastern time. So my apologies if you were resetting your calendar because of my misinformation. 
fake news here on Destination Draft Day. We apologize for it. Players to watch, though. Chuba Hubbard absolutely tears it up as a running back for Oklahoma State, and he will be a key piece of this running attack. You look at this Oklahoma defensive line has definitely played a big part of their success on defense, and they have so many guys that are getting to the passer. They split up their sacks extremely well. All of these guys have like five to two and a half sacks, and it's crazy. So Hubbard is going to have his work cut out for him with guys that are getting in the backfield and very disruptive. You look at the receiver game, obviously, Tylen Wallace is a playmaker at the receiver spot, and he is going to be having a lot of targets in this offense. They are going to depend on him heavily to make plays and create big-time moments in order for Oklahoma State to pull away in this game. And then for another player, it's Tevin Jenkins, right tackle of Oklahoma State. We already talked a little bit about this front seven and how well they've been getting sacks. Tevin Jenkins is going to have his work cut out for him, whether it's working against Ronnie Perkins or someone else. I look at this guy and watching him go against Osai, there were some moments where Osai got the best of him, but he had so many great reps. And he's someone that we'll talk about a little bit later, but he has definitely established himself in my book as a player to watch. And against Oklahoma, this is a great opportunity for him to really show himself. Yeah, I think uh, the battle of Oklahoma and obviously the Wisconsin-Northwestern game are really good games this weekend. Uh, Wisconsin, I think, still very much in play to be in the college football playoff. And a big win here sets them up to control their own destiny. And Oklahoma State, if they have, or if they or the Big 12 any chances of making the college football playoff, they obviously have to win, win that game. And it's, it's going to be quite – the uh the matchup there it's probably the first time in a long time where the general consensus that the betting odds really is that the oklahoma state team is the favorites over oklahoma yeah and it seems like people are still giving oklahoma the favor in this game but looking at this game it's hard not to feel confident that oklahoma state's going to come out and win this one you look at they've been able to step up in big time games and have big moments whereas against Oklahoma schedule, they haven't really had that moment. They lost Kansas State. They lost Iowa State, whereas Oklahoma State has had some big wins. Obviously, losing to Texas is not going to play into their favor, but Oklahoma State has so much talent that you have to really just be confident in the fact that they've established themselves as a great team. And right now, Oklahoma is so young all throughout the roster. That's why in the players to watch section, they had no one on there. And it's just because so many of these guys are sophomores juniors maybe even freshman red shirts so it's it's still a growing season and there's a lot of hope for oklahoma going forward but i think right now what you see in their roster is just a lot of youth whereas oklahoma state this is kind of their big year to really capitalize on opportunity yeah no doubt about it and that's uh you know the the big games that you guys work us for this weekend but of course brian with bonus seekers brian any other games you are Kind of keeping close tabs on this weekend. I mean, from a betting perspective, there's always a few uh, interesting ones, but I think that we really have covered the you know the most important games. Obviously, um, a couple that uh, I look at really just from a betting perspective, I guess. Um, I like Iowa State this week, guys. I know it's another Big 12 game that we were talking about. They're giving about ten and a half points, um, and I, I think that that's a team that we can maybe. Uh, 
uh, take a look at. Um, there's a couple of SEC games that are kind of interesting. I saw that Florida's giving Vanderbilt 31 and a half. Nick, what do you think about that? It's a lot, it's a lot of points. Uh, I'm not, I haven't seen any Vanderbilt football Vanderbilt. this year, but uh, I guess I would, I guess I would say, uh, I guess I would say Vanderbilt covers. <laughs> uh, I guess the team that I really uh, enjoyed watching the first couple of weeks when I've been able to catch Pac-12 football is Oregon. I, they're giving away 17 points to UCLA, who actually played on Sunday against Colorado. So they have one less day to work with there. Uh, mine and Michael's guy, CJ Verdell, just um, just pounding the rock, running over defenders nonstop. I mean, 17 points is a lot, but you know the Ducks are one of those teams that are very, very good. If I had to give you guys one tip of advice, it's to take Liberty over North Carolina State. North Carolina State is a fine football team, but Liberty is underrated, and I think it's because the committee doesn't want to reward Hugh Freeze because of all he's done in terms of NCAA sanctions. But this guy is killing it at Liberty. Liberty is a legit team. They're undefeated for a reason. They beat teams like Virginia Tech. This isn't just some easy schedule that they've walked through. Right now, North Carolina State's considered the favorite in this game, and I, I don't understand why. Liberty is legit. Take Liberty in this game. Uh, if it's wrong, it was Nick that told you to. It wasn't me, but <laughs> otherwise. Uh, it was Liberty Mutual with their TV commercials. Salono Meshing. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Uh, another game that's going to be good under the radar game. Coastal Carolina coming off there. You know, bye week due to COVID nineteen taking Appalachian State. So Appalachian State is six and one. Coastal Carolina seven and zero. That's certainly a good game there. I know we were going to talk about Coastal Carolina last week. So Michael, any players you want to highlight on their team? Uh, yeah, looking at what Coastal Carolina brings to the table, the big player for me is CJ Marable. And you look at this guy; he's definitely not your traditional size running back. He's five. 5'10", 200 pounds, so a little bit a little bit smaller than you used to. I don't even think he measures in at 5'10 whenever they take his height. I think he's probably 5'8", 5'9". Very bowling ball-esque type guy, but he, he runs very hard. He has struggled a little bit this year. You look at his past seasons, he has over 5 yards per carry in the last season, over 6 yards per carry in the season before. This year, he's at 3.8, so... He really needs to bounce back and have these big performances because now he's playing for his draft stock. And you look at Appalachian State and Liberty are the big games on their schedule. He has to have big games in those performances in order to really establish himself as the star player he is. And I look forward to seeing it. I think he's absolutely a stud player. Uh, He can catch the ball a little bit too, has over three catches in all of his games this season. So look for Marable to have a big game in this one, whether – he takes advantage of it or not is is kind of up to him, but I really look forward to seeing what he can do against Appalachian State, which is a very good G5 school. I've got a question about one game, guys. You know, we've seen Iowa dominate a few teams, and we've seen Penn State do nothing but play terribly and lose, yet uh, it's a virtually no spread. I think Iowa's about a one-point favorite uh, going into uh, State College, so uh, what's the deal there? Uh, am I missing something? Because I feel like Iowa's much better than they are. Yeah, I think the big thing for it is just people don't want to sleep on Penn State because of how much history they have, but this team just isn't the same right now. They seem checked out. A lot of their star players had to leave, sadly. Journey Brown retiring from football was devastating for anyone who really follows it. I mean, you you hear a guy that has so much talent 
probably would have been a second, third round pick, and he has to hang it up as a football player. Is it sucks for him, and we obviously send our regards to him for that. But this Penn State team as a whole just doesn't seem to have the same motivation that it even came out in week one against Indiana. And each week they kind of look worse and less into it. And I don't know if it's an issue with Franklin or if it's just a lot of guys aren't believing in it, but it's, it's still tough to bet against them because you know, there's so much talent on this Penn state team, but if they aren't motivated, if they aren't coming out with a lot of, you know, real belief in themselves, then it's hard to believe in them. So I think Iowa is probably the good the good bet for who wins that game, but it should be a very close game still because I I do trust that Penn State's going to turn it around eventually. I just I don't trust that it's going to happen right away this week. Yeah, I think uh, Iowa's on the rise. Um, you know, Penn State state of flux here. I think that uh, I think there are some allegations against James Franklin today. Not quite sure and read too closely on that, but uh, Penn State could be heading towards a transition period here, uh, especially with the way they played this season. And uh, Franklin hasn't been known to be the, the cleanest off the field as far as uh, I think there was something about he told a player who was going to be questioned by cops to not answer any questions. So you never like to see those stories coming out of college football. That's not going to help. Any player, it's not going to help any any program, and it's not going to help any player rise their draft stock when they're included in that discussion. Yeah, and it's definitely a situation to follow. It was brought up last year with uh, YGM, uh, Yatur Gross Matos, I'll say his name just in case anyone's confused. But And it seemed as though these players were just listed in the document, so it wasn't a big deal. But now there seems to be reports that it could be a little bit bigger issue. So we'll see what happens. Hoping obviously that these players weren't involved, but at the same time, if it was, you're hoping that, you know, just something works out. Cause I mean, you don't want to see that type of culture anywhere. And in college football, it's even worse when these guys are supposed to be role models to their committee or community. So it's, uh, it's, it's something that is tough to speak on because you don't really want to say too much. And then it ends up being wrong and you just, kind of came out looking like a floor or whatever, but it's definitely a story to monitor and keep up with because it could be huge in terms of the Big 12, Big 10 landscape and the overall college football landscape as well. Certainly no doubt about it. Uh, Michael, is there any any people who whose stock is on the rise right now? Looking at story. the draft risers for the season right now, day three, Dwayne Eskridge was a wide receiver when he came to Western Michigan, went to cornerback, now back to wide receiver, had a huge game on his last – or had a huge game last game for Western Michigan, put up multiple touchdowns. I believe he had three in total on four catches. He was an absolute baller, got a senior bowl invite. He has established himself as a playmaker, and he's rising. If you are looking for some late-round sleepers, Eskridge is a guy that could potentially – be someone you love. He is a playmaker, and he is willing to move around all over the defense, play some special teams for you. This is someone that I think a lot of coaches are going to gravitate towards because with those late-round picks, you're looking for high upside or you're looking for guys that are willing to really spend their times on special teams until they can get into the rotation of playing regularly. And Eskridge is someone that I think can both 
move forward from offense to defense if you need him. He can play special teams if you need him. And he's got some playmaking ability. So it's a guy that I think day three look for him to potentially be a earlier draft pick than people expect at the moment. Looking at a day two riser, Javante Williams, the running back for North Carolina, has had an absolute baller of a season. A lot of people are starting to kind of whisper it, but they're saying Williams is a better back than G. Harris. They're saying he's a better back than Travis Etienne. I'm, I'm not ready to stake my claim in that, but I think there's definitely some warranted reasoning for why they love Williams. He's an absolute stud. Both these North Carolina running backs, Michael Carter and Javante Williams, are able to make plays anytime they get the ball in their hands, and it's just phenomenal to watch. It's why I think North Carolina is one of the better teams in the country, and I'm looking forward to seeing them play more and more this season with each week that comes. But Javante Williams has really capitalized on his opportunity this season, and he has made himself rise up boards. Currently at day two, if he continues to shine, though, he could potentially find himself as a round one pick. The round one riser is Tevin Jenkins. We talked about him earlier. He has so much upside, in my opinion, and he's done well to prove that he can really produce with that upside. He moves well. He's very big. He's very strong, and he plays all the way through the whistle against Osai. Him and Osai went at it all game. Osai got the better of him a couple times, but really there were so many reps where I was saying, wow, this guy is an absolute stud. Then I'm not trying to say I was first on him. People were definitely well ahead of me, but I saw a lot of articles start talking about Tevin Jenkins after I was talking about him too, and I'm saying, wow, I guess guess I'm not an idiot. I guess I was on the right track with this analysis. So uh, a lot of people seem to be talking about this guy, and if he continues to play well, continues to trend up, Tevin Jenkins is someone that you need to watch because he is an absolute player, and at right tackle for Oklahoma State, he's in for a big matchup against Oklahoma this weekend. The top pick riser is Quiddy Pay, and he has dominated as an edge rusher for Michigan. He does well with his hands. He has great athleticism, and really the biggest thing about Quiddy Pay was he had so much upside, but there were questions about how he really showed his polish to really showcase all that upside, and he's starting to put it together. A lot of people are starting to say, hey, you know, are we sure that Gregory Rousseau just gets to cement himself as this edge one? And right now I'm still on board with Rousseau being the top edge in this draft, but there are a lot of trusted and well-respected draft analysts out there that are saying Quiddy Pay should be the first edge off the board once this draft happens. And there's definitely warranted reason for it. You look at Pay's production this season, and the fact that he's playing obviously plays favor to everyone because you love to see these guys kind of show their growth instead of hoping for it. So huge week for pay every week. And as he continues to move forward, while Michigan hasn't played great, uh, he seems to. So we'll see how he does against the dominant Rutgers program. But Nick, quitty pay. Keep an eye on him if you're watching that game. Yeah, that brings up a good point, Terrio. Harbaugh. Michigan, a lot of people are saying they're out. Uh, he's, he's probably going to leave this year. Um, Brian, I think if they lose to Rutgers, then he might be fired like immediately. But I don't think that's really going to happen. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what Michigan would do there to replace him. Uh, would they go the coordinator route? Would they 
go for a big name like Bill O'Brien. Because, uh, I mean, honestly, if you look at Harbaugh, his tie here with Michigan, the first year, uh, I think it was day after Thanksgiving, they, they got the game against Ohio State. The winner was going to basically go on to the college football playoff. And uh, Ohio State gets that questionable fourth down conversion, which ends up them winning the game. Uh, and ever since then, you know, people have been really down on Harbaugh for some reason. You know, if you look at his record, <laughs> I mean, how many schools would kill for the record that Michigan has under Harbaugh? But the fact of the matter is they haven't won the Big Ten title, haven't been in the college football playoff. So, you know, in Michigan's, uh, you know, if, if you're the athletic director, unless you know you're getting somebody who's going to be able to do that for you, uh, it's, it's kind of a tough call, I would think, Brian, to – just fire Harbaugh, especially with what's going on right now with uh, coronavirus. And it's going to be really tough to get somebody in there to recruit uh, without really seeing anybody play. Jim Harbaugh pushed to play this season. When the season was up for grabs and we didn't know what was going to happen, Jim Harbaugh's like, no, we got to play. Uh, something tells me he didn't even watch his own team before suggesting that, um, that, 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 you know, they were going to, that, that they were, you know, that was going to, you know, that they were going to look like that, that he wanted to play. You know, there's no question he's gone. Have they beaten Ohio State since he was there once, one time? I don't think so. So <laughs> all those other things, you, Nick, I know the college football playoff is important and winning the Big Ten title is important. I'm pretty sure he hasn't beaten Ohio State. No. Yes. Like I said, they should, they, Ohio, State should, Ohio State should have lost that first game. Um, you know, question off for recall. And from there, it was just – it was like an avalanche and it just, it couldn't stop it. You know, I, after it's kind of like we talk about, you know, at what point can you go back, you know, um, uh, at, at what point, especially after you've watched the play that the way that team has played this season, how could you bring Jim Harbaugh back? They got absolutely smoked by Indiana and, you know, no, mm-hmm. no offense to the Hoosiers. That's a basketball school. Like, you know, there's just <laughs> no way that you can get beat by three scores against Indiana and bring back Jim Harbaugh. You just can't. Looking at guys that could potentially step into Michigan and really doesn't play to their favor. There's Coach Fickle, who I think would be an excellent hire, but he has the Ohio State ties, so he may not want to go there and really kind of disrespect the overall rivalry, which seems to play a big part in college football tradition. And then you look at some of these other guys. Doc Holliday's had a great year for Marshall, but he doesn't seem to be moving anywhere. He seems to be a Marshall head coach for life. You look at Coach Sataki of BYU, who doesn't really seem like he would – move away from the West coast and maybe he would be willing to, but at the same time, when you're Michigan, can you really risk someone that hasn't crossed over the Mississippi to try to recruit heavily for what we haven't gotten to see out of them? And then you look at, you're not really going to go for Bill O'Brien because you just hired the uh, former NFL head coach. So you kind of try to stay away from your past habits. And really in my mind, the, the best candidate has to be Matt Campbell. And I don't know if he's willing to leave Iowa State, but you have to throw the sink at him. Everything that he wants, you're telling him he can have to come to Michigan. He's already established himself as a very good head coach at Iowa State. So if you can get him to jump ship, kind of really make himself a new home at Michigan, you're not only giving him the opportunity to recruit, which he doesn't necessarily have at Iowa State, you're also giving a guy – 
that has traditionally overperformed with his past teams in terms of roster talent compare, compared to the rest of the conference, you're giving him that opportunity and you're giving yourself a better chance to really bounce back. So if they can, they have to try it for Matt Campbell, Luke Vickle, stuff like that, but we'll see what happens. Well, uh, Nick had an, and said an interesting thing about Bill O'Brien, and, well, you know, you know he's not going to be with an NFL team, so he'll be available. 100%. I, I really like Bill O'Brien for South Carolina. I think that's a really good opportunity. But at the same time, South Carolina could potentially go for Brett Venables as well. You look at just – he's always talked about, you know, eventually I will have to leave, and, and he doesn't want to move necessarily, so maybe he'd be willing to go to South Carolina – not move his family too much, but also still have a really nice program to be a head coach at. Somebody like Venables has accomplished everything there is to accomplish at the place where he's at. He's not going to be the head coach of Clemson. He's gotten to coach his own son now. So I do think that, you know, it would be, you know, the next step for a guy who's been coaching one of the best uh, units in the country for half a decade. No, Rick LinkedIn says Harbaugh most definitely did not see his own team. Did think the Jets will hire him after they can can gaze. That would be an excellent hire for the Jets, Brian. Uh, I don't know how if you're a Jets fan, you would be excited to have Harbaugh as the head coach. Jim Harbaugh? Yeah. There's only one there's only one Harbaugh I'd want to coach my team. And Why don't coached- you like Jim? He was so successful with the 49ers. I think I think the Michigan career has kind of soured people on Harbaugh because you can't say Michigan hasn't had the opportunity to be good. And I think the biggest appeal for Harbaugh was he was at Stanford and he had a great career. And then he went to Stanford and he did really well. And yeah, he could probably still coach at the NFL level. I don't think that's a question, but I think most likely we see Greg Roman get a head coaching job and then Jim Harbaugh takes over that Baltimore offense next year. Interesting. Harbaugh's together in, in, in Baltimore. I like that. Uh, I wonder if a team, so, you know, I'm surprised it didn't happen. I guess maybe if we have to do a smaller school at this point. I'm kind of surprised that no college football team ever approached Tom Coughlin to be a head coach. Uh, it just felt like they were somebody was going to reach out to him. Maybe they did, but we just, I think maybe now he's kind of, you know, a little too old to really get rich with the college football, but. I mean, we just we saw Kirk Herbert's come back after ten years, so I think Coughlin. I mean, he started in college football. He might be a, a good choice for uh, a smaller school, perhaps. And you know, don't rule out your guy Hugh Freeze for these big jobs, Michael, because he's doing a great job. But the talent, you know. talent is a hundred percent there. I think he's proved to be a great coach. It's just you bring in Hugh Freeze, you run risk of five years later you're no longer bowl eligible for another five <laughs> years after that. Rick, going back to Drew Locke, says he had Locke as a floater in a 2QB league. With He has Brady and Kyler. Yeah, keep playing Brady and Kyler. I also have Judy, who always seems to have main games when I'm on the bench. I don't know what to tell you there. I don't know who other two receivers are, but I guess stick Judy on the bench and just hope for the best. All right, so real quick here, uh, let's look at some games coming up. And the, the, the biggest game of the week happened last night already, but – some other big games. Uh, we'll we'll do three games real quick in four minutes if we can. Packers and Colts. Uh, I like the Packers in this one. Devontae Adams is going to play. Uh, but then again, hey, the Colts are looking good. Uh, I think the Colts are our favorites because they're home. But uh, I, I'm not sure if that's entirely accurate. But 
anytime the Packers have been underdogs this season, they have won the game. So I'm going with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers to have a big bounce back after a uh, so-so win against the Jaguars at Luton Lunacy, Michael. Definitely big fan of the Packers in this one. I don't trust the Colts. I understand they had a great week last week, but just I, I don't love the offense. And for that, that makes them a pretender to me in terms of the overall grand scheme of Super Bowl talk. But I do love the Packers, and I think this is a big opportunity for Aaron Rodgers to kind of have a big moment against a great defense. He's had some moments where he gets kind of shut down once he goes against these better defenses. So have a big day, Aaron Rodgers, and you're, you're sitting atop the MVP talk with uh, with a great opportunity to really win this division and be the number one seed in the NFC. About it, Brian, what are your thoughts on Packers, Colts, two good teams? Yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to picking games, this is a big rest league and a big recency bias league. So rest is on the side of the Colts, recency bias is on the side of the Colts, and I think that's why you're seeing the line, you know, uh, where it is. But it was up at about two points, two and a half points. Um, and, you know, by the time, in just the time that we've been on air, that's where they grew from two points to down to one and a half points, at least at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, I mean, I uh, I look I look for the Packers to uh, win there as well. That's probably, you know, a one-score game. All right. So that's the, the 4 o'clock uh, Sunday game, the 425 game. Everyone's going to watch. And then you got the big game, Sunday Night Football. The Chiefs taking on the Raiders. I don't know if Brian's going to kill me for this, but I got the Raiders winning this one again. I think they're going to sweep the Chiefs here in the regular season. Uh, the Chiefs are trying to build up this narrative about the Raiders uh, driving around this, this, the Chiefs stadium after they beat them. I don't hear anybody in the Raiders talking about that. So for some reason, that's in the, the Chiefs' heads here. and uh, They're really going out that. And the Raiders, man, with John Gruden, just a scrappy team. And I like them to win this one in ugly fashion. Brian, you got you want to kill me on that one? Uh, I'm not going to kill you only because, you know, I could see the, um, you know, I could see the, the, the Raiders keeping this game close. The spread, again, that the spread that was eight points earlier today is down to seven. So perhaps the Raiders are getting some love there. But a couple of things, Nick. Uh, the first one is that the Raiders had to put seven more players on the COVID list uh, yesterday, you know, just a day ago. And uh, you need all the help you can get when you're playing against the Chiefs. And another thing is that Andy Reid coach teams do an excellent That's job. They very, very rarely get caught napping, get caught in traps. Um, you know, they actually cover the spread at a really healthy clip, I think over 60% since he's been there. Uh, I'm not sure I'd give more than seven points in that game, but uh, now nah, the Chiefs are going to win. So if you had the Raiders at eight, you got you had, you should have, you should have took the Raiders at eight. Raiders are also, decent line. Andy Reid off the bye week. I don't know if he's ever lost. So, uh, you know, it's the law of averages, just like Kirk Cousins was doing for Monday Night Football win. Andy Reid's due for a bye week loss. Uh, what, what do you think, Michael? I know you got the Chiefs winning big. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Mahomes guy, and I, I just feel like whenever you have these games where, you know, you lose and everyone's like, oh, no, this is this is their kryptonite, you're going to see Mahomes bounce back and have a crazy performance. <laughs> you know what's crazy? Everyone is sleeping on Mahomes for MVP. The guy's got 25 touchdowns and an interception, which is one touchdown less than Rodgers and two interceptions less, and Rodgers is the favorite. It's that LeBron effect. I don't think a single person on planet Earth that watches football is sleeping on Patrick Mahomes. If you ask people who is the MVP right now, 
Mahomes is not one of the top people out of their mouths. They say Rodgers, they say Wilson, they say Murray, they say Brady, and then you get to Mahomes. I think that's total disrespect. He should be the top two name out of your mouth. He's definitely making a case for it. Uh, another big game for this weekend. I think Monday night Rams yeah. versus Bucks is a huge one. And then also Titans versus Ravens, which we'll see. Both these teams are fighting for a playoff spot. You losers out of the losers out of the playoffs. Loser is definitely outside looking in, that's for sure. And you know, both these teams have struggled lately and have huge question marks. Uh, it's gonna be tough. Go ahead. Sorry. There's one thing that I'd like to say before we go about the Monday night game, and that's Bucks Rams. That is, um, you know, another big game. Two teams that are still in the first place hunt in each of their respective divisions. Um, the Rams are being forced to come to the East Coast, not once. The Rams are being forced to come to the East Coast. We lost right. There we go. Here, here you Four go. times. Yeah. Four we times. They, for weeks two and three, they had to come back for week five. They had to come back against Miami and to his first game. And now they are back again for a fourth time. As the season goes on, that wears on a team. Tampa Bay, Monday night. Even though I'd like to pick the Rams, I, I, I would much rather not root for Tom Brady, Michael. But you know what? Tampa on Monday night. Let's all let's all root for the the Vikings against the Cowboys too, because if the Cowboys don't win Andy Dalton, then we got to hear how the Cowboys are going to the division. We got them on Thanksgiving, and then we'll be talking about the Cowboys going to the playoffs again. So we don't really want to hear that. The Cowboys uh, will beat Washington on Thanksgiving, so you're going to have to hear a lot of the Cowboys are going to win two in a row type of thing. Yes, but luckily that's not going to happen. The Vikings are playing much better football, and um, yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I agree with Rick here, Skull. Let's go Vikings. Let's go Browns against the Eagles. And let's hope for let's hope for like the worst record possible for the NFC East champion to go into the playoffs and you know go on the road to Seattle and win the game. That would be amazing. Michael, wrap, wrap us up here. We'll see you on Monday for the next show. Obviously, we'll have a little bit of a Thanksgiving special. We'll cover all the Thursday night and Monday night games that are going to be coming up. Destination draft day. It's a long road, but we'll get you there. All eyes on the NFL draft here. Brian, Nick, thank you so much. Everyone in the comment section, thank you for all your comments. Very active today. We love talking to you guys. That's all we got for you. Take care.